Well, greetings to all of you. I want to welcome all of us at Center Street Church, uh, those of us here at Center Campus, as well as those joining us from our campus in Northwest Calgary, Bridgeland, Airdrie, and South Calgary. I also want to welcome our online viewers as well. I'm going to preach to you this weekend from a book of the Bible that is uh, relatively unfamiliar. Now, as far as I know, not many sermons have been preached from this section of the Bible. Now, at the outset, this form of writing comes across as uh, gloomy and depressing, and no wonder we try to avoid it. And even those who attempt to read this book of the Bible wonder, what is this all about? How did this make it to the Bible? What I'm referring to is the book of Ecclesiastes. The message of this book is actually very relevant to our 21st century audience. Centuries ago, the writer of the book, who I believe is King Solomon, wrestled with the meaning of life. What is life all about? Is that all there is? Does life have a greater purpose? Deep philosophical questions like these have occupied human minds for centuries. And if you think about this, these questions are unique to humans. Animals don't worry about the meaning of life. They don't ask, is that all there is? If you look at a fish inside a fish tank, all they do is swim back and forth from one end to the other. And they never stop for a moment and wonder, is that all there is? Why am I engaging in this pointless exercise of swimming to and fro inside this small enclosure? As much as movies like Finding Nemo want you to think otherwise, fish don't want to go on a long journey to the Sydney Harbor looking for lost loved ones. Dogs don't ask, where did I come from and where am I going when I die? They don't lose sleep over all dogs go to heaven or not. We do, but they don't care. Cats don't suddenly, you know, sit on a counselor's chair and complain, my life is boring, I'm facing a midlife crisis. Is that all there is? No, they are peaceful and content most of the time. So animals don't question life's meaning. But humans have been preoccupied with this question because it is one of life's most pertinent questions. You know, in the popular book, The Purpose Driven Life, author Rick Warren describes a survey conducted a number of years ago by a philosophy professor where he wrote to 250 prominent people in the society, consisting of authors, scientists, intellectuals. And he asked them this simple question, what is the meaning of life? Some offered their best guesses. Others confessed that they just made up a response. And still others honestly admitted that they had no clue. Several of the intellectuals even asked the professor to write back and tell them if he had discovered the purpose of life. The so-called wise people of our times struggle with life's meaning. King Solomon the richest, wisest, most famous man of his time, attempts to give a response to this question on life's meaning in the book of Ecclesiastes. Clearly, it is a fascinating book of the Bible. I, in fact, challenge you to read this book if you haven't yet already. 
you will find that perhaps it's one of those books written on a Monday morning. It is realistic, down-to-earth, and highly relevant to our day and age. Solomon addresses the deep questions that plagued his heart. But unlike the wise people of our time, Solomon came to a completely different conclusion. He reflected on his life experiences so he could offer valuable lessons to others. So today we're going to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. I'm going to ask us to stand as we read this together. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Lord, we thank you that you have made us so unique and different. You made us in your own image, and that is why we ask these deeper questions of life. I know that there are some people here today who are wrestling with these very questions. So would you speak to us, Lord, through your word? We thank you for the truth of your word and the answers that it provides to some of these deep questions. So we ask that you will come and speak to us in the power of your spirit. We ask this in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. The book of Ecclesiastes identifies its author as the teacher. It's the word used for someone who addresses an assembly or a gathering. Even though Ecclesiastes doesn't explicitly identify Solomon as its author, the descriptions provided makes it obvious that the chief character in reference is, in fact, Solomon. Now, what stage of life was Solomon in when he wrote this book? Here's a good guess, a reasonable hypothesis. When he wrote the Song of Songs, this collection of love poems, Solomon was a young man pursuing romantic relationships. When he wrote the book of Proverbs, he was a middle-aged man, full of wisdom and writing to his sons, urging them to walk in the path of wisdom. But Ecclesiastes seems to have been written in the final chapter of his life. He's writing this as an elderly man. And you need to know something about Solomon. 
He was Israel's most successful king. The time he ruled was the golden age, the zenith of Israel's history, a time of economic prosperity and military security. He was so popular and wise that rulers from everywhere came to learn from Solomon, including the famous Queen of Sheba. Solomon had everything a person can possibly imagine. Abundant wealth, choices food, opportunity to study and learn. He had everything in excess. Do you know how many wives Solomon had? 700. Can you imagine? No, I know living with one is a major undertaking. 700, are you kidding me? No wonder he says everything is utterly meaningless. <laughs> if 700 were not enough, he had 300 girlfriends, concubines, women readily available to him anytime. But there is a twist to Solomon's story. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 4 tells us, As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. Now many believe that Solomon wrote this book of Ecclesiastes as a repentant man who had realized his folly of walking away from God. So he penned this book to talk about the futility of life apart from God. Solomon was uh, speaking from his own experience as someone who had everything, who tried to find significance in the stuff of life and how they ultimately let him down. And so you have to keep that information as a backdrop to this book, otherwise your interpretation will be skewed. These are Solomon's opening words. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Wow. This will make a good memory verse, isn't it? (laughs) If you're looking for a lighthearted, uplifting message, then Ecclesiastes is just not the book for you. The word for meaningless used in our text is the Hebrew word, hevel. The word best describes Solomon's perspective of life. He uses the word 40 times in 12 chapters. It's translated as vanity or meaningless in our English Bibles. But what Solomon has in mind is not meaninglessness as we would define it today. The emphasis here is on the fleeting, transient, temporal nature of life. In fact, the word hevel, translated as meaningless, actually refers to a a puff of smoke or air or vapor. So Eugene Peterson, in his Message Bible, translates it this way. Smoke, nothing but smoke. There's nothing to anything. It's all smoke. Now let me give you a visual illustration of what life is like according to Solomon. See the smoke? That's your life and my life. 
done. There's nothing more sobering than to reflect on this fleeting nature of life in light of eternity. Our life is so momentary, and before you know, it's gone. Another phrase that frequently occurs in Ecclesiastes makes a similar point, chasing after the wind. Life is like chasing after the wind. You cannot grasp the wind with your hands, and so is our life. You cannot grasp its meaning altogether. It is utterly enigmatic. So here's a question Solomon raises in verse 3. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? This is life's crucial question. Is that all there is? Getting up in the morning when the alarm rings, snooze for 10 more minutes, you finally stumble out of bed, grab your toothbrush, drink coffee, and get ready for what the day holds. What are you going to gain? What are you going to accomplish? All your efforts, whether you're a student, you have a job, you're a homemaker, or you're retired from work, what are you going to accomplish through all your toils? It's utterly meaningless. And that realization produces despair, a sense of deep restlessness and futility. And the writer of Ecclesiastes wants you to feel that sense of hopelessness. Take it in. But at the same time, keep this in mind, what Solomon is doing, he's showing us the logical outcome of our life if there is no God, if there is no eternal significance to our life. If all we have is this life here on earth and the candle goes out when we die, what do people gain from all their labors under the sun? Under the sun. Yet another significant phrase in the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon uses it 30 times in this book. Everything is meaningless under the sun. And what Solomon means by under the sun is an earthly perspective. It is this physical realm that we can touch, smell, and feel. The world that we observe with our eyes. If this physical world is all that there is, Solomon says it's all meaningless. All of our activities have limited value. You cannot escape this cold reality. If all we have is just this physical universe, then life has no ultimate meaning. And interestingly, you read the work of secular atheists and philosophers, they all conclude the same. There is no ultimate meaning in life. The sooner you find that, the better. If you don't have the concept of God, but only at this worldly perspective, and you have no other alternative but to forfeit meaning in life altogether. An issue not long ago of the highly regarded science magazine, New Scientist, asked several philosophical questions of life and attempted to give answers strictly from a scientific perspective. One of the questions was, what is the meaning of life? And in trying to answer about the meaning of life, the author begins with this bleak reality. He writes, what is the meaning of life? 
The harsh answer is, it has none. Your life may feel like a big deal to you, but it's actually a random blip of matter and energy in an uncaring, impersonal universe. When it ends, a few people will remember you for a while, but they too will die. Even if you make the history books, your contribution will soon be forgotten. Humans will go extinct. Earth and the sun will be destroyed. Eventually, the universe itself will end. Against this appalling reality, how can a human life have real meaning? I tell you, this is not Solomon's conclusion. We're going to hear his conclusion later. Solomon is merely showing us the despair of life apart from God. He's systematically dismantling the attempts that humans have made to find meaning in life outside of God. He's revealing to us what life looks like in a purely materialistic, naturalist world. But before we get to the good news, you have to dwell on the bad news first, so bear with me. Solomon goes on to point out the monotony of life. In verse 4, he says, Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. You know, if you say, my life is significant, I can make a difference with my life, Solomon will say to you, are you joking? Life is like a workout on a treadmill. You exercise effort, you perspire, your heart may be beating faster, your feet is moving, but in spite of all of that vigor, you go nowhere. You remain in the same spot. And that is our life. Generations come and go, but nothing seems to change. Solomon gives some analogies from the cycles of nature, like the sun that rises and sets, like the wind that blows from one direction to another, like the water cycle that seems to be ongoing. So everything in this universe is an ongoing, endless cycle of monotony. It goes on and on. Your activities seem pointless in this predictable rut. There is nothing new under the sun. We all feel this frustration time to time, don't we? Now, who hasn't gotten up on a Monday morning and said, this just doesn't make sense? I admit I have. Perhaps not on Monday, because that's my day off. But I've said that on Sunday, sometimes right before I preach. Solomon concluded, not only is life futile, but it's frustrating. For nothing here on earth seems to satisfy us. So verse 8, Solomon writes, All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. Well, most people, sometimes Christians included, live under this notion that there is some experience out there. And if only they can have that experience, their life will be a lot better. The entire entertainment industry is built on this premise. Our advertising and marketing techniques capitalize on this. 
Think about this. Solomon knew all about pleasure. He was a hedonist, a materialist, wine and booze, sex, luxurious palace, best food, architecture, and building projects. He was drowning himself in luxury and comfort. It's fascinating. He says in Ecclesiastes 2 verse 10, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. And after all of that, he concludes, they are like chasing after the wind. Again, in verse 11, Solomon says, we don't remember what happened in the past, and in the future generations, no one will remember what we are doing now. Isn't it funny that we somehow think that we are the generation, that everything is about us, And we so conveniently forget that there have been generations before us that thought the same way. And there will be generations after us who will be under the spotlight for a brief period of time. But here's the truth. We all will be forgotten. All human accomplishments will disappear. The important people of our time The people you see in everyday news, in websites, in magazines, the movers and shakers of our society, most of them, if not all, will become unknown names in less than 100 years' time. And you and I, we will not be here forever. And it's not very long before we will be forgotten. And when you die, You take nothing with you. Someone else gets all your stuff, and the things that matter to you so much would end up in a garage sale, will be sold for a few dollars, and the rest will go to the dump. That's life. Anybody feeling optimistic? (laughs) Glad you came to church. (laughs) Having wandered away from God, Solomon tried to find meaning in hedonism, materialism, intellectualism, and all of them let him down. It was mere chasing after the wind. Thankfully, that's not the main message of the book of Ecclesiastes. In the final chapter of this book, Solomon gives us his conclusion. You have to keep this conclusion in the rearview mirror as you're reading this book. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1 says, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. We have a Creator. He brought each one of us into this world, and it is in remembering Him we find life's meaning. You were made by God and for God, and until you understand that, your life will make no sense. It's not just talking about casual remembering here, but it's speaking about orienting your life around God, keeping Him at the center. A life under the sun may seem meaningless, but remembering God gives us an above the sun perspective. It's a different vantage point from which we see life. Now, our world tells us when you're young, Pursue pleasure. In your middle age, you can focus on your vocation. 
And in your old age, if you have time, perhaps consider spirituality. The Bible doesn't espouse that view. All of our life ought to be lived for God, starting from our youth. Does any young person here listen to me? Life's most critical decisions are made when you're young. And many of these decisions are irreversible. If you leave God out of the picture, you will end up wasting your life on frivolous things that will leave you empty and dry. So remember God when you're young. Let him be fully involved in all of your decision making, for that is the path to success. Pursuit of pleasures is just a dead end. They don't satisfy. It is in knowing our Creator the deep aspirations of our hearts are fulfilled. It is through a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ that brings purpose to all of our life's activities, no matter what our vocation is. Hear the final words of Solomon as he brings it to a close. The book of Ecclesiastes finishes with these words. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. You cannot interpret the book of Ecclesiastes correctly without these words. The first 11 chapters ought to be understood in light of the 12th chapter. Life has a singular purpose. It is to know God. Fear God doesn't mean we are afraid of Him, but it is speaking of reverence and awe. It means taking God and his word seriously. God is no longer just a casual acquaintance, but he's an integral part of you. And we may still wrestle with life's inconsistencies, apparent contradictions, things that just don't make sense this side of eternity. But don't worry about that. Don't lose sleep over that. Because there is a day of judgment that's coming. I'll take care of it. And God will reverse every wrong and make all things right. Our duty is to know God and follow him to the best of our abilities and leave everything else in his capable hands. Now, someone sitting here may say, wait a minute. This is just a glib Christian response. Are you saying, if I have Jesus in my life, I will receive meaning all of a sudden? It seems too naive, too simplistic. Just a couple of weeks ago, a 30-year-old pastor of a mega church ended his life, leaving behind his wife and two little kids, committed suicide. Don't Christians battle with the quest for meaning? I, I admit, we all do, Christians included. But there's a big difference as well. Now, there's another place in the New Testament 
where the same word for meaningless in Ecclesiastes is being used. And that is in Romans chapter 8, verses 19 and 20, where the Apostle Paul writes, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. The word futility that you saw there is the same word for meaninglessness in Ecclesiastes. Paul is saying God has subjected the world to meaninglessness as a result of our sin. It's a consequence of the fall. Life has been destined to be unsatisfying apart from God. So that is why all of our search for meaning under the sun fails us. And even Christians sometimes struggle in this area of meaning because we live in a fallen world that is awaiting redemption. We, along with the rest of God's creation, are groaning, yearning for all things to be made right one day. So it will never be perfect this side of eternity. Christians are not shielded from the effects of the fall. So I am not giving a glib answer here that if you have Jesus in your life, you will no longer have days where you will question life's meaning. But hear these words from G.K. Chesterton that will bring a lot of clarity around this. Chesterton writes, for the Christian, joy is central and sorrow is peripheral. That is because life's fundamental questions are answered and only the peripheral ones are not. But for the one who does not know Christ, sorrow is central and joy is peripheral because the peripheral questions may be answered, but the fundamental ones are not. These same words can be applied to meaning as well. Because Jesus has answered the fundamental questions of life, we have a sense of certitude that gives us purpose, meaning, and hope. And here is the good news of the gospel. Jesus, who is God, entered into this world and lived under the sun. He stepped into this fallen, broken world that's struggling with meaning in order to free us from the curse of the fall. Now, if you look at Ecclesiastes, one of the main reasons for Solomon's disillusionment is death. It contributed to his feelings of futility. That thought of dying snuffs out any ultimate meaning whatsoever strips us of all of our accomplishments and produces feelings of despair. In fact, Leo Tolstoy expresses Solomon's sentiments well when he asked this question, is there any meaning in my life that wouldn't be destroyed by the death that inevitably awaits me? Is there any meaning in my life that wouldn't be destroyed by the death that inevitably awaits me? That, I tell you, is a question worth pondering. In fact, if you don't have an answer to that question, you will never be able to make sense of life. And what does the gospel offer us? Jesus died. The creator of heaven and earth, the immortal, eternal God, would choose a brutal execution on our behalf 
in order to remove the sting of death and give us the hope of resurrection. And if you're a Christian, death cannot annihilate your life's purpose or rob you of its meaning. Because of Jesus, death no longer has its final say. It has been comprehensively defeated, stripped of its power, and will one day be utterly vanquished. That's the hope of the gospel. Old Testament scholar Tremper Longman says, reading the book of Ecclesiastes in light of the New Testament points us to Jesus in whom our lives find true meaning. The gospel is not just a message or a set of facts to believe in. The gospel is a person. Jesus is the good news. And all of the blessings of God are contained in him. So it is in knowing Jesus we enter into this gateway that will lead to life's meaning. So let's not buy into our culture's lies. And if I could just have more money, more pleasure, more success, then I would really be happy and my life will be a lot better. The reason all of that is meaningless is because our frustration is meant to drive us to Christ. Let me close with this. A figure in history who parallels Solomon must be Blaise Pascal. He was a brilliant French thinker, mathematician, scientist, and inventor who lived in the 17th century. As a young boy in Paris, he was already a genius. He wobbed people with his exceptional math skills. At 15, he was writing books and developing theorems that amazed his professors. He went on to invent the first digital calculating machine. Many call this the first computer. And he has several other inventions. As a young man, Pascal had spiritual questions. He was disillusioned with the pleasures of life that he found in Paris. Everything seemed boring, and nothing could fill the deep aspirations of his heart. And one night, he picked up a Bible, read from John chapter 17, verse 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And that verse, Pascal says, stood out like a spark and he felt like the, almost the entire room was on fire as he had a profound experience with God. And that day, Pascal came to faith in Jesus Christ, and he dedicated the rest of his life to proclaiming the greatness of God and defending the Christian faith. Pascal wrote these famous words. There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man that can, cannot be filled by any created thing, but by God alone made known through Jesus Christ. That is Solomon's conclusion as well to Ecclesiastes. Everything is not meaningless. Jesus takes our broken lives, puts us back together, infuses us with his divine purpose, and gives us a reason that's worth living for. I'm going to ask us to stand as we come to an end. Uh-uh. <clears throat>
Let's just close our eyes for a moment. I know there are some of you here in this place. There's a deep void inside of you. And you're looking to the wrong places to fill that void. And you know that it has only let you down. Because it's a God-shaped vacuum that only He can fill. Even Christians can be guilty of this. Looking to the stuff of life to somehow make us more significant. And I want to challenge us today to repent and ask God for His forgiveness. And ask Him to come and fill you with meaning and purpose that only He can bring into your life. I'm going to ask us to maintain a moment of silence where we can quietly speak to God from our hearts. He's very attentive to what you have to say. And after that moment of silence, I'll close this in prayer. Lord, we want to acknowledge right now that you are the creator God who brought us into this world, that we are no accident, but we are made in your image. And we confess that only you can bring lasting, ultimate meaning and significance to our lives. Forgive us, Lord, for looking for it in the wrong places, for chasing after the wind, we bring our lives once again before you today. Pray that you will fill the deep longings of our heart. That the cravings that are inside of us that can be filled with no pleasures of life, I pray that you will give us that sense of contentment that comes from knowing you and walking with you. Lord, there are many questions that we don't have answers for. Help us to know you, to abide in you, and walk in the revelation that you have given to us. And as we do that, would you make our lives here on earth count in light of eternity, that even our brief existence will have a ripple effect that will serve to advance your kingdom and make Jesus look glorious. And even as we leave this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet, unfailing fellowship of the Holy Spirit may rest and abide with each and every one of us, both now and forevermore. Amen.